Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. So I think I've got a couple of stru- uh, things. First off, before we get to Radio Free Mormon, there's just a couple of things, one of which is message boards. Okay. Because I was a member, I told you I had been banned three times from the fair related uh, message board. It was more, uh, was uh, uh, Mormon. It was MAD, M-A-D board, uh, Mormon Apologetics and Discussion Board. It's now the Mormon Dialogue and Discussions Board. You can find it. Go there if you want. That's the one I've been banned from three times. And there's also this one called the Mormon Discussions Board. Okay, now that's not the Mormon Discussions Podcast. They have nothing to do with each other. People came up with the same idea for a name, I think. I think independently. So, but um, that is where much more uh, ex-Mormon or post-Mormon or transitioning Mormons hang out. And so I started over there at the Mad Board with the apologists, right? And I would do threads about Book of Mormon bullseyes and people thought I was great. And then I started, you know, thinking about things, writing other things. Uh, it's not just these, that these ideas are coming to me, but I'm giving myself permission to express things that have been percolating for some time and putting things together. And um, uh, I start getting thumbs down, really, from the, the Mormon crowd. And now I've come over here to the, more, um, the post-Mormon board, the Mormon Discussions board. There are so many intelligent people on that board. And they are very sophisticated, very witty, very honest, very frank, and very truthful. And they follow where the truth leads. And a lot, for a lot of them, that's led them out of the church. But there was this time period where I'm a member of both boards, right? And I'm going through a transition of sorts. I'm challenging some things. And I'm doing it on both boards, kind of at the same time. And I am shocked to find out that the faithful Mormons on the one board are suggesting that I need to leave the church because I don't fit in and I'm asking the wrong kind of questions. And over here at the ex-Mormon board, they're hearing the same thing and they're encouraging me to stay in the church. And I'm going, what's, what's wrong with this picture? This is the exact opposite of the way I would expect it to be. And yet it was absolutely the way it is. So um, I can't post over here anymore because I'm banned. I guess I got a little too trenchant or with my observations for the moderators and over here at this other board where basically it's impossible to get banned. You can get demoted, I think to outer darkness, but you can still post. Um, I still post there from time to time, but the vast majority of my time is taken up with the podcast Mormon related time, right? I actually do have a practice that I have to tend to from time to time. Uh, but this podcast, right? Okay. It's all Adam God because at Rational Faiths, where I was asked to podcast, I was asked to uh, write a blog over there because it's the Book of Mormon bullseye thing again, right? So they've got people who are blogging over there, and they, they blog about criticisms of the church, but they want someone who will do something positive. Hey, let's reach out to this guy. <clears throat> so they asked me to do that. I said, sure, I'll do that. But then it starts being something else. And in December of 2013, the church released the essay on the race and the priesthood. And I read it. And I said... Mm-mm. No, this isn't enough. There's no apology. That's what it has to have as an apology. By the way, the church keeps wondering why it is that people can't forget about the priesthood ban. The reason is because they've never freaking apologized. 
You cannot just expect it to fade in the distance and hope people will forget until you apologize and then there is closure. And that's one thing they haven't learned. And that's one thing if they were paying me any amount of money or no money at all to advise them, that's what they've got to do. So we have two things now, stop lying and apologize. Those are the two recommendations. And I, I think both of those are actually good. Yes, either that or just start tearing hymns out of your hymn book, like do what is right, let the consequence follow. Don't be singing that anymore, okay? Because if you believe that, then you should do what is right and not worry about what it does to the church or the membership or the tithing. You should be doing what is right because it's the right thing to do. And I'm looking at you, Elder Oaks, and actually all of you for that matter. <laughs> okay, so having said that, um, yeah, uh, I do a, a piece, a piece, a blog. It's called Why No Apology for the Priesthood Ban? Question mark. And it goes through that. And it's, it's, I think it was released on a Friday. It's December. It's 2013. And it goes viral. It just starts going, you know, it's amazing. And I can't believe it. So it really took off. I was very, very, you know, excited about that. And then I, I would write like one every maybe three weeks or so. And I had a few that were kind of popular. None, none as popular as that. But I had one that was popular. It was about the Adam God theory. And mainly the reason I thought I would approach the Adam God theory is not only do I have an intimate knowledge of it because of all that research I did on it back in the um, 1980s, but also because it suddenly occurred to me and I suddenly discovered that in modern church manuals, they've got like the, the Brigham Young manual, teachings of the presidents of the church, where they quote him, that in at least two places, if not three, and I, I talk about them in the, um, the blog, they actually quote from Brigham Young where he's talking about Adam God, but they cut that part out and they just leave in a part where he's talking about God and they present it as if he's teaching modern Mormon doctrine. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Really? They have to do that. So I expose that and uh, hopefully there's some uh, fun and humor in it as well. So that, that's kind of popular. It dies away. Uh, I write more blogs. About a year later, somebody links to it on Facebook or something. It becomes popular again. It's rediscovered. And that's when Bill Reel sees it. And I'd been listening to Bill Reel, some too, along with yours and John Larson, up to the point he uh, stopped doing his podcast, and a couple others, but those are the main ones. Infants on Throne, some. And uh, Bill Reel reaches out to me. And he says, you know, would you come on and we'll do an interview about the Adam God Theory? We've never covered this. You obviously know, know, know about it. So I said, Sure. And we go on and we have, uh, this is like August of 2016 or so. We go on there. We have this beautiful interview. It's like two hours long. It's very, very, I thought it was very interesting. And apparently a lot of people agreed because it was a huge uh, hit for Mike. How are you doing? No, don't worry. About, don't stop. Oh, okay. He's just going to help with the, the sun. The sun's starting to shine on you. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What is that strange round glowing orb in the sky? <laughs> Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, it goes, it goes over well. And then Bill reaches out to me and says, Hey, would you like to, by the way? Yeah. A lot of people, uh, recognized who I was because I was under my regular name on that Adam God, uh, theory podcast with Bill real. And then shortly thereafter, I show up as radio free Mormon, right? Well, apparently I have a distinctive voice. So they were able to put two and two together pretty quickly. There are other reasons for that, that they were able to figure it out, but that was one main one. And he says, would you like to do your own podcast? Because at this point, Bill is kind of getting a little bit worn out because he's doing this so much and putting out all the content. And he's trying to see, can I get some people kind of maybe like you, you know, get some other 
people to do podcasts. Um, and so he reaches out to me, says, would you like to try it? I said, I've been wanting to do this for a number of years, but technology, I have no idea how to do this. And I've had this name for several years. I already had the name. It's Radio yeah, when Free did Mormon. You, when did you first use that name? Well, I first used it on the, the first <clears throat> podcast. Right. But I had it before that. You mean the, you own the domain name? Oh, no, no. I just mean oh, in your head. I had picked it out. And what, what's the origins of that name? Well, Radio Free Europe. Talk about that. I know what that is, but tell our listeners what oh, that is. Oh, Radio, uh, Radio Free Europe, World War II, um, uh, broadcasting the, uh, the pro-American uh, message behind the enemy line so that people who are behind there and uh, who are oppressed by the Nazi regime, regime, and I might be getting this wrong, but I think this is pretty much it, can get the message. And radio can send messages. We don't have to send over, like, you know, pigeons or planes and drop actual written messages, we could broadcast them behind enemy lines to get the word in that helps on the way. The allies are coming. So are, Hang are, on. are you saying your, your motive was, or your approach was to help get people out of the church? Because mm. that's, that's what comes to mind when you think of that name. No, I just thought it was uh, Radio Free Mormon. I thought it was a great name. I mean, you've got Mormon expression, you got Mormon stories, you got Mormon discussion. I'm not going to start with a Mormon. <laughs> right? You guys have already used that. So I don't want to do that. Um, so Radio Free Mormon just came to, I thought it was a great name. Okay. And it has, so it has nothing to do with the, the role that, that, that Radio Free Europe had. <laughs> well, you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really, I explain it because that's the historical backing. I think, you know, people may correct me on that, but I think that's pretty much what Radio Free Europe was. Um, but yeah, uh, Radio Free Mormon, I think it's a great name. I do want to make it really clear here, okay? I am not trying to lead anybody out of this church. That is not my goal. I have no desire to lead anybody out of this church. What I, uh, the church works for people. I mean, I would have to ignore the fact that I was in the church for 40 years, and for at least the first five years, it worked pretty well for me. Um, so it works well for some people. If it works well for people, that's great. If there are people who want to know a little bit more about their religion or hear about why it is that I've, I am where I am or come to the point where I've come to, they're happy to listen. I'm happy to share. But I'm not here to try and mock and shock people at all. Had you, uh, had you listened much to, to Bill Reel's podcast? I had. I'd listened to some of his. You know, his was kind of nice and gentle, you know, um, trying to lead with faith, right? That was his, uh, his byline. Right. Mormon Discussions podcast, Leading with Faith. And he tried to do that. He tried to do that, you know, as long as he could. And then finally, it just fell apart for him. And he woke up one morning and said, I can't do this anymore. And that's part of the deal. That's part of the deal. You try as long as you can to do it. And you are just dragging yourselves. Uh, and you're just trying to do it. You expend everything until you can't do it anymore. And you finally stop doing it. Right. That's the way it was with me. Yeah. I went through everything. And by the way, one other thing that I think everybody's watching probably knows, but I want to make clear. There is nobody in this church who wanted it to be true more than I did. Right. I did not want this church to be not true. I wanted this church to be true. Right. That was the excitement. That was the love. That was why I sacrificed. That's why I went on a mission for two years. That's why I did everything I did for this church. That's why I studied it inside and out. Because I wanted it to be true. 
and one of the greatest disappointments in my life, even though it's been spread out over a number of years, so it hasn't been, you know, so boom, as with some people, is that it isn't true. And that I was taken advantage of by people who knew better. And I'm not talking about Bruce. I'm talking about people higher up. Um, and I, and deceived, taken advantage of. It would be one thing if this was like the Lutheran church where uh, basically they don't expect a whole lot from their members, but where you've got a church that is a high demand fundamentalist religion like the LDS church and they expect everything from you for your entire life. Uh, what's the law of consecration again? <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's complete. Um, Even your own lives if necessary. That's right. Everything, up to and including your lives, if necessary, is devoted to the For Church the of Jesus Christ. building and strengthening of the yeah, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yep. So they don't want a lot. They just want everything. <laughs> and to do that when they know they're not being honest with you, and the reason they're not being honest with you is because if they're honest with you, you won't be as likely to join up or give everything you've got. That is disgraceful. And they need to apologize for that. That's step number one. Yeah. Yeah. So your, say it again, your intent with starting the podcast was what? Oh, my intent starting the podcast, I had already been writing for two years a blog where I'm talking about my conclusions, my insights, and as I, my thinking about Mormonism, which tended to become over time, I would say more and more pointed. Yeah. More and more pointed as more and more things come together, I'm starting to realize more, there's a bigger picture out here, and that bigger picture is very different from the picture that I was shown. It's like um, the church, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray, right? Church has one picture, it shows everybody, but there's this other picture in the closet that looks a lot different, because that's the real picture, it's the picture of the soul. Um, so yeah, it was just really to communicate that, because I've got a lot to say. Communicate what? My thoughts about Mormonism. Okay. My thoughts about Mormonism. And I am a guy who's been in the church for 40 years and I have been shut down and shut down and shut down because as an institution, they don't want to hear what I have to say. They don't want to hear what I have to say. And so I have been marginalized and put to the side. And I will tell you that when I went to Sunstone, uh, I'm so sorry, um, president of Sunstone, a year in polygamy. Lindsay. Lindsay, Lindsay Hanson Clark. Thank you. Um, she reached out to me and she's, she's so brilliant. I, I listening to a year in polygamy, uh, fantastic talent. And she's so smart and she knows that stuff. And she admits she wasn't a scholar. She just started going into it because she had a different purpose in mind to figure it out from a faithful angle. And then everything turned around on her too. Right. Um, she reached out to me, wanted to go down there. There were some super nice people who had this mansion of a lodge up there in the hills in park city. You know, you can stay up there. And there was a point and I just started, I started doing this because it was like, there's people who want to hear what I have to say and I'm not being marginalized anymore. And I was actually surprised that I did that then. And I'm surprised I'm doing it now. I apologize. And you mean crying? What, whatever tears. it was I was doing, there's no tears. <laughs> there, there, are, are tears. there are no tears that have fallen. I see the tears. No tears. No tears. <laughs> no tears um, escaped. Getting emotional. Yeah. Okay. Getting emotional. Getting verklempt. Yeah. About it. But yeah. And then all of a sudden realizing, oh my gosh, what is this telling me? What is this telling me about what this experience in Mormonism has done to me? Because I tend to laugh things off. 
that's what I do. I laugh things off, right? I try and treat them with humor. I try and laugh at things. But when all of a sudden I am doing that over the realization that here are people who want to hear what I have to say and even nice enough to offer their home for me to stay in for free while I'm down there and I canceled my, you know, my hotel reservations immediately. Uh, it, it was just so touching and so meaningful to me. And I realized what I had been through and what I had put up with and how much it had affected me. Shout out, the, the home you're speaking about is Holly Alden and Rick Alden's house. And a shout out to Holly and Rick for their generosity. They've been very generous with us as well. So I just had to had to mention that. <laughs> it was incredible. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Now that wasn't this Sunstone, was that? Yes. That was this one. Mm -hmm. That was 2019. Yes. Okay, but you started RFM three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. Okay. But I th I think there's I think there's more to it than you just. I mean, we all enjoy being heard, right? Yes. There's a couch over here. You want me to recline on it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Go ahead. I want to hear what you have to say. Really? No. I'm just saying. I I think there's a part of it that. You know, we do this thing where we say we don't want anyone to leave the church and, you know, we don't hate the church and we're not angry. Yep. Um, but I, and, and you've said that you just, for the first time, people are willing to listen. And I think that's all true. But what did you hope would happen with the church and what did you hope would happen with the members of the church? Because I think some of that well, I will tell you, has I'm not... to be bound into your motives too. Okay, all I can tell you is what's conscious, right? Subconscious, I got no clue. Um, but consciously, I have, no, I have no inclination or motivation or belief that I could even affect the church at all or how it does anything. I'm not here to try and take members of the church and suddenly try and bring them outside of the church. Um, You're not? No, not at all. Not at all. Are you trying to, are you trying to educate and to awaken, awaken the members? Hmm. Because again, the... You're, I'm getting this double message where you're saying you named it after uh, Radio Free Europe, where they're literally dropping pamphlets trying to educate people, mm -hmm. and yet you're telling me you're not trying to influence the members inside? That doesn't quite... Can you see the inconsistency there or not? Yeah. Or am I making something? Am I projecting? Well, you're, what you're doing is you're making me think about it more, and I appreciate that. Maybe this is still this Pisces thing where things are going in both ways at the same time, but... I think that what it ends up being is <clears throat> a version of what I was trying to do when I would go to church in the final months and make a comment and think I'm sending up a flare and maybe there's somebody out there who is ready to hear, ready to see, feels like they're alone, misunderstood, trying to make sense of it all. And then suddenly seeing a flare out there in the dark night on the ocean and realizing, oh, they're not alone. There's somebody else who's in a similar, there's somebody else out there. And I think that's, I think it's probably fair to say that that is what the main point of it is, uh, as well as having a forum just to express myself and my own thoughts, my own research, my own scholarship. I continue to do scholarship and come to new conclusions about things related to Mormonism as I do it. And hopefully to, to be entertaining too. Hopefully to be entertaining. I saw some uh, people mentioning how, uh, how is it that you don't get angry? You know, how is it that you are so calm and everything? And um, I don't know. There have been times when I've been angry. The church has done things that have made me angry. And um, 
I think there's been one time when I came on and I was still angry about it. And I mentioned how angry I was, but generally I feel the best way to approach it is just with some humor and take it into stride. And I think it's more effective, at least for me to sort of gently make fun of something rather than point a finger and yell at it. Yeah. Like um, I was talking, uh, this was in the interview with Lila Tuller, where um, she's talking about Boyd K. Packer having given a telephone call to her brother, who was the president of Sunstone Magazine, and telling him he needed to dismantle that magazine and get rid of Sunstone, right? And her brother says, well, thanks, but no thanks. I, you know, I appreciate the suggestion, but I'm not going to do it. And that then Boyd K. Packer pronounces an apostolic cursing on her brother because he won't do what Boyd K. Packer's telling him to do. This is the church that believes in free agency, by the way. Okay. As Orson Scott Card once said, he said, uh, in the Mormon church, free agency is the freedom to do what you're told to do. That's the real definition. But he, there's this cursing on him. And I'm, I'm talking about that in the podcast. And then I stop and I, cause this is, you know, talk about unrighteous dominion, right? What could be worse? This guy's supposed to be an apostle for crying out loud. He's the uh, grizzly bear who can't be stage managed. So I thought, you know, and I just thought, here's what I said. I said, yeah, this has been known in the family as the apostolic cursing. And then I say, that Boyd K. Packer, what a kidder. <laughs> and I think that says it better than I could if I were just like to get really upset and on a high horse and start uh, shouting about how badly Boyd K. Packer acted. So... Um, and I'm getting pushback, so I'm going to read uh, read a comment from a listener right now. Jaden writes, no offense, John, really, but I think I hear this from all the podcasters most, so it's, so it's not just you. But I think the question you asked him can be applied to you as well. I'm actually okay with both of you saying you're trying to enlighten people and help them know leaving the church is okay, help them leave. Perhaps you mean you're not going to walk into church buildings and hijack sacrament bashing the doctrine as an example. What I, you know, what I would ask you is there, there, there's, you know, just like anger, um, is taboo within Mormonism mm -hmm. and a lot of post-Mormons are like, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. You know what I mean? Um, having the intent to take people out of the church is taboo in Mormonism, mm. but I'll just ask you something that probably is subconsciously projecting on some level if the church is a fraud which i think you think it is if the church isn't what it claims to be if the church is uh harming people and bleeding uh people of their time and their energy and their money and their resources why wouldn't you want to take every single last person out of the church and as noah new name noah likes to say burn it the fetch down with truth <laughs> why don't you want to take everyone out of Mormonism if it's not true. Because the church is good for some people. It's good for a lot of people. It was good for me. If I say the church is no good for anybody, then I have to deny my experience with the church in my early years. Now, of course, part of that is based upon a perception I had of the church, which I have come to believe was not correct. And yet it works for some people and it works for a lot of people, probably millions of people, right? So who am I to tell them that what is working for them doesn't work for them. That would be like the, the mirror image of what Mormonism tends to tell the world is that happiness can, true happiness, right? The real happiness can only be found in Mormonism and by following all the, pro, 
everything you're supposed to do as a Mormon. Well, um, I used to believe that. I used to believe that even when I'm in the middle of not being happy, you know, it's this weird thing. I know I'm made miserable by Mormonism, but I know I'm supposed to be happy. So I tell people I'm happy. And so I think that people outside have to come in to be happy, even though I'm not happy in Mormonism. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. But on the other hand, I don't want to be outside Mormonism now and, and doing what I would perceive as repeating the same mistake as thinking you can only be happy and fulfilled outside Mormonism. I think Mormonism is a great place for a lot of people. I think there's a graduation that can take place for Mormonism where you can learn more, but people will get there when they're ready. And there's nothing I can do that's going to make them more ready than they already might be. They have to come there on their own. Right. In fact, if I'm trying to tell someone who's pretty well entrenched in Mormonism that you're wrong, then that's going to get them more entrenched. But what, what I think you and Bill and me and others, you know, I think the role that we might play is, is for once somebody's, once somebody's uh, not having a good experience in the church mm-hmm. or once, once they, the cracks have started to develop, where they're starting to think or feel like something isn't quite right. Then when they find CES letter, then when they find RFM, then when they find other podcasts, your polygamy, whatever, then all of a sudden it, it can be, it can be a push. It can be, Whoa, I didn't know about this. I didn't know about that. I didn't know Holland was a liar. I didn't know that Joseph Fielding Smith, you know, perpetrated fraud on a bunch of people. Okay. Now I don't Now I think it's hogwash. Now I'm leaving. You realize you do play that role, right? I think I hope I play a role of letting people who tune in or find out about me uh, know that they're not alone. That one of the reasons I, I stay by Radio Free Mormon instead of my name is that I can be what I consider an everyman and or every person, as we would probably say nowadays. But every man is a, a certain term that's, uh, that's come to be used where I can speak for everybody. And I certainly don't speak for everybody, but there is a, a pretty large number of people, at least the ones who communicate with me, who say, you know, uh, I love what you're saying because, my gosh, you're saying exactly what it was that I was thinking, but I was never able to put it together before. Or I love what you're saying because I'm learning things as well. But so, so much giving voice to this unvoiced angst that a lot of Mormons are feeling nowadays where they are feeling uh, uncomfortable, they're feeling dissonance, but they don't know why. And then all of a sudden, maybe they listen to me, maybe they listen to you or your guests or, or Bill Real, and all of a sudden they start going, wait a second, this is why. They're talking about it, and I'm not alone anymore. So uh, did I answer your question? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, talk more about why you haven't wanted to use your real name besides wanting to be the everyman. Are there just reasons of confidentiality that, I mean, this last Sunstone, there was this big reveal mm-hmm. where you revealed your face, my you, face, you like presenting mm-hmm. behind a sheet mm-hmm. and then the sheet drops down. Yeah. And I think, did you, did, was your name revealed as well? No, no. Although <laughs> I, I've heard others talk about it. Yeah. I know Quaku at some point mentioned it. So, Oh yeah. He did the big, he did the public outing. He was making fun of you and I didn't like that. But, oh yeah. He's, but, he's very funny. But, but why, why have you kept your <clears throat> name out of the minds? I, I thought, I thought because I haven't really listened to all your episodes, I just figured you wanted to avoid excommunication 
you know, disciplinary action by the church. Mm-hmm. But tell us why you've, you haven't wanted to use your name. And it's been three years. So uh, originally it was because uh, my youngest daughter was on a mission and that was to try and protect her in some way from knowing that her dad is um, Radio Free Mormon and spouting out the things that I I spout. Um, But then, and once again, this gets messy, so I want to avoid the messiness. Um, uh, Before she got back from her mission, she was advised by somebody other than myself that uh, I am Radio Free Mormon. So that really wasn't the reason anymore. But by that time, people had kind of liked the idea of Radio Free Mormon and this everyman idea. And um, so there was sort of a mystique about it, a little bit of fun that people had with it. So I just kept it going because of that for entertainment value. So kind of a creative entertainment value. Yes. Okay. And so that's why I asked you today, because you were just going to talk to me with my regular name. But I asked you just to refer to me as Radio Free Mormon. It's like if somebody is interviewing uh, Cary Grant, are they going to insist on calling him Archibald Leach? Is that his real name? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but so people can find it out. A lot of people have through various means when I mentioned one of which was in Quake who totally outed me right with my picture and my name and everything. And uh, he made so much fun of my name. He was very funny. I was laughing my guts out when I watched that, by the way. I thought it was mean. Yeah, but it was funny. Mean can be funny, at least from my point of view. Uh, I don't like mean. <laughs> I don't like mean. I don't like mean. Okay. Okay. I'll try not to be mean. <laughs> I know. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, that's fine. People can know who I am. It's like a lot of people know that Cary Grant is Archibald Leach and they can know what my real name is, but I still just want to go with the radio free Mormon, at least for now. So, uh, tell us about, you know, for those who, who, who haven't listened to your podcast yet, or for those who are interested, what have been some of by your, and I, I, I get this question all the time and I Mm -hmm. hate it. Yeah. What are some of the most important episodes or some of your favorite episodes and why? I have been going back and trying to listen to some of my episodes. I enjoy it tremendously. Isn't that terrible? I enjoy actually listening to myself. At the time it gets released, there's nothing I want less than to hear it again because I have been killing myself trying to get this thing published and going and editing it and doing all the work associated with it. And the last thing I want to hear is that subject again and me talking about it. But now going back three years and listening to it, I listen to it and it's a lot of fun. Um, Wrong Roads. That is the big one. A lot of people loved Wrong Roads. And that's where I am pointing out some logical inconsistencies in a story told by Elder Holland about, uh, you know, back when he was younger and encountered a fork in the road and decided to take it. Was that that Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire? Was that part of that? No, that's Bill Real. Okay. I have never called Elder Holland a liar. I don't think I've ever called him a liar. Uh, you see, where I come from, which is the legal profession, uh, you in, there are people who lie all the time, okay? Uh, they lie under oath, they lie in court, they lie in police reports, they lie in statements. Liars, liars everywhere. But the way I'm trained is you don't use the L word with people, okay? You, you, can, you can say, uh, this is not consistent with this, this contradicts that, this appears to be something that was made up later, right? All those kinds of things. So it's very extreme in my profession to call somebody a liar. Now, Bill Real did do the liar, liar thing on Elder Holland. And I think Elder Holland was called, um, let's just say, 
embellishing things greatly. One of which I actually kind of discovered and did some research on and did a podcast about the growth rate of the church, right? The, the growth rate is tanking and yet he's in Dallas, I think it was, and recorded talking about how the church is growing and the church and growth is the biggest problem the church has and it's growing more now than it's had in the whole history of the church. In fact, in the whole history of the world since Adam and Eve walked out of the Garden of Eden, he says, this church is growing. And then he talks about 10 stakes, multi, double digit stakes every week they're creating. Yeah. And then I went back to the church website where they talk about the stakes that are being created. And I went back to the month when he's giving the talk and I go, wait a second, this is different than what he's saying. Right. So you were asking about just different episodes, right? Yeah. Some of the big ones. Yeah. That was great. That was great. Uh, I got to do a little bit of creativity. Um, and this is also a way that I get to express some creativity with the podcast, which I really, really appreciate. I get to sort of, I mean, I haven't been doing theater forever, so there's a little creativity there. Colette, I, some, I'm going to invite right now. Oh yeah. I'm inviting listeners to share their favorite episodes so those of you who are RFM fans, right now, go to Facebook, go in the comment section and post your favorite ones and I'll read them out really quick. There have been some that, uh, that have already been put. Colette Larson, who is a former uh, guest on Mormon Stories Podcast, she put the Death March episode, which is also one that I listened to that, that Bill Real, I think, recommended. Um, he did. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, thank you. I mean, that one, uh, what was it, uh, the Brody Brody Award for Best Podcast last year, I think it was. Um, honestly, I didn't think it was that great. And I'm just so pleased that people like it. There's, always, there's often this disconnect between what I think is really good and what I think is meh, and then what people really like. And often it's not the same. And the Death March really was uh, one of those because all it was was going through one general conference. And I kind of picked up on this theme that there's an awful lot of stories about people dying here. And there's no stories about people getting priesthood blessings and being healed. But people get priesthood blessings and they die in this church. And President Eyring is the worst of all. Anytime you're sick, you don't want him standing at your doorway reaching for his vial of olive oil, okay? He's like Dr. Death. He's Kevorkian. <laughs> Anybody he touches is going to die. And he tells the stories about it. And then he refers to it as a miracle. It's, it's incredible, really. And one of the things that happened was it's a laugh line, too. People understand in the church that nobody's going to get healed. This is part of the culture of Mormonism. On the one hand, we say we have the priesthood power of God by which people are healed, and on the other hand, all we tell is stories of people getting priesthood blessings and dying. And the miracle isn't they're healed. The miracle is, oh, there was this beautiful peace in the room. Or the miracle is, oh my gosh, well, we'll be seeing them again sometime. And there were like 11 stories in this one general conference that either said that outright or hinted at it strongly that that's what had happened. And people are dying right and left. They're dropping like flies out there. And so all I did was I put in order these stories in general conference and i threw in a little bit of commentary and you know uh i i didn't think it was that great but it really made an impact apparently i think i think that it's something that once you see it you can't unsee it and now anytime i watch general conference i haven't done my commentary i did one on one of elder oaks talks but i haven't done my general conference general my general general conference commentary um it happens again. I don't know that there's 11, but over and over and over again, people are talking about people who get sick, they get priesthood blessings and they croak. 
Yeah. It's expected. Yeah. And I'm honestly, there's one, and it's President Iring again, I think. But I'm honestly listening to this story for the first time, and he's telling the story about this person who has this terminal disease, and he gets a priesthood blessing, and I actually find myself, I'm rooting for this person. Please pull through. Please get better. Please get well. Please get healed. And no, he dies too. What is uh, a wire Mormon so fake about? Oh, why are Mormons so fake? This was the last general conference. It is. <laughs> That's it's Je- April. Jennifer. Jennifer. Shout out to Jennifer Limones who who put that out. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you for the question. Uh, she's saying she liked that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So this is April, not last general conference, but the general conference before in April of 2019. And I am just going to sit down. And I have made some notes, and I'm going to go through at least all the talks in the Saturday morning session, and hopefully beyond that. And I just want to hit on some high points. One of my problems is I over-prepare. Number one, I over-prepare, and then I start diving too deep. And I start seeing more things, and I just keep going and going. And so I start with the very first talk in the Saturday morning session, the 2019 April General Conference, which is given by Ulysses Suarez, I believe. And I don't even... All I get is to the first point I'm going to make in his talk and what he is indicating, and I can't remember everything I said, but what he is suggesting and making it really clear is that we need to be fake with other people. We have to be fake. This is one of the themes that happens in Mormonism. Everybody is fake. We're taught to be fake because what is the most important thing in the world in being a Mormon, John? Supporting authority. Yes, supporting the church, making it look good, and making other people, getting other people to join. Yeah. Okay. So the church has to look good at all costs. That is the prime directive. I'm sorry, I, I'm getting away now from the question. Thank you for liking that. But he talks, he, he mentions it. And so I developed that further about why are Mormons so fake? And, uh, but this is, ties into something you said. Some of the nastiest and ugliest things that happen in Mormonism, as well as in other churches, apparently, um, these things that get hidden. The child abuse that gets glossed over and stuffed under the rug by church authorities and sometimes even helped by church members. The reason why I believe is because our job is to not make the church look bad. Because if we make the church look bad, people will not want to join. And we need to make the church look good at all costs. So we only talk about the good stuff about the church. The leaders do this. This is why they hide the bad stuff, right? This is why the, it's, it's endemic. The church leaders, uh, Boyd K. Packer, the mantle is far, far greater than the intellect, only tell the good side, the faith-promoting side of church history, everything else which I acknowledge exists and I know about it, you hide that and you don't talk about that. Otherwise, you're going to lose your job, you church employee teachers, and you may end up spending eternity in a very, very hot place that you don't want to go. That's the way it is. And so, But this goes over into bad things. When Mormons do bad things, we want to look the other way, we want to hide it, and that includes abuse, and it includes abuse of children. And this is, I think, why it is that there is child abuse in the LDS church that, thank God, is now starting to be reported, starting to be acknowledged, but why it gets hidden. And it's an example of people who are very religious, doing things for a religion that they would not do under other circumstances. They're good people, but they're doing this because the primary thing is to make the church look good, which means not making it look bad, which means the members don't do bad things, which means they get hidden. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I think I might be onto something. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um, 
lots of people are listing things. Uh, Colette also mentions the Renlin Smackdown. Holly mentions the Pharisee phenomenon. Oh, yeah. What was... Uh, a lot of people are mentioning um, the the Corbridge... Uh, the Corbridge maneuver. maneuver. What is that about? What that's about is Elder Corbridge, who... Uh, okay, hang on a second. Elder Corbridge, he is the member of the 70. He's the church leader who back in January, if not this year, but I think the year before, gave a BYU address. I hope I'm getting this right. Honestly, I should know my own, my own canon for crying out loud. But I think he's the one who gave the talk about how there are people who have doubts but the reason they have doubts is because they're looking at the wrong things. Um, there are primary questions, and then there are secondary questions. And there are four primary questions, and the primary questions are fundamental things about God existing, about Joseph Smith being a prophet, Book of Mormon, true, et cetera. And so what you need to do is you need to uh, only look at those and listen to the leaders. By the way, I'm goofing this up terribly. The, the actual podcast is much more interesting, I hope. Um, but then all these other questions, the questions that people have, the actual questions that people are asking about church history, those get discounted. Those aren't, those aren't important. And in fact, you shouldn't go there. And he gives a whole talk. And that's the Corbridge Maneuver. And that's why I called it the Corbridge Maneuver, because there's an old Star Trek episode called the Corvamite Maneuver. Do you remember that one? You are such a nerd. I am well-rounded. You are a nerd. I'm erudite. In all the good ways. <laughs> he likes he likes Marvel comics and he likes Star Trek. Yeah, but not DC. But not and DC. Next Generation, forget about you, it. Did you even like the Batman, the Dark Knight series? Oh, it's awful. You're awful. Okay, I admit that. I can live with that. I was going to say something insulting like your mom's awful. because we're this. You're mean. Answer, but You're mean. I, I thought you didn't like true. mean people. <laughs> Don't you dare talk badly about the Dark Knight. That's sacred. He's boring. That's sacred. DC is boring. I am Batman. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Look, DC is boring. I read both comics, okay? DC is boring because they are they're cardboard, they're two-dimensional. They're they're not interesting, okay? But Marvel Comics, like Stan Lee said, two things. You make heroes with feet of clay, heroes who have their own problems, and then you make villains who under other circumstances would be heroes. Mm -hmm. That is the, 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 the idea behind it. It doesn't always work that way, but that's why I love Spider-Man. He's got problems. He's got acne. You know, he's a kid. He's got girl problems, but he can also, you know, shoot the webs and go fight in the, the super villains. And what did he say about villains again? Here's the feet of clay. Villains? And vil making super villains who under other circumstances would be heroes. It doesn't always right, work that way. Right. But like Magneto, right? Did Mag you like the X-Men? No, I don't like the X-Men as much. As At all? And eh, not so much. What? I don't think they've done a very good job bringing With them the to first the three? screen. Yeah. You didn't like the first three? Yeah, Stinko. Really? Yeah. But Avengers, Spider-Man, all that stuff. Even in comic books, I didn't like the Avengers. I mean, the, the X-Men that much. I think the first three X-Men were brilliant. And that's great because you have your own path. <laughs> that's why they make, how many was it? 53, 63 flavors. Baskin Robbins. That's what my dad always used to say. You know, well, that's why they make 63 flavors. Everybody doesn't have to like the same thing and people like different things and it's okay. You're a good person. I'm a good person. Well, I think the former might be true. The latter, I'm wondering about. Oh, uh, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, because Dark Knight, like, I'm just X-Men. Like, come on, man. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Second Thor, what are you thinking? No. Oh, that's so good. 
Um, oh my gosh. I'm joking. Okay, so. I've got such a man crush on Chris Hemsworth. So, yeah, he is hot. <laughs> He's hot. Can I say that? Is that sexist to say Chris Hemsworth is hot? Not to me. Okay, good. Um, okay, so uh, a couple more sensitive topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all, Jonathan Streeter just asked about, asked about this. A lot of uh, other people. Um, Stephanie just wrote, but you digress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the point. The point is to talk about Marvel comics. All the Mormonism <laughs> stuff has been the digression. <laughs> it's all an excuse to talk about Marvel <laughs> comics. No. Uh, so Jonathan Streeter asked about this. A lot of people who wrote in asked as well, a really sensitive thing happened. Uh, you know, when, when McKenna Denson came out with her claims of Joseph Bishop molesting her and then her confrontation of him, um, we were all taken by storm and, uh, you know, that, that story obviously went viral and national and international and it was a super big deal. And there's just been so much cover-ups of abuse in the church that this, she became like the standard bearer for abuse cover-ups in the church. And we all rode that wave. Um, and who knows what really happened who knows if if that did happen and we have Joseph Bishop admitting it or at least things like it on several occasions um if that if any of that were true with what happened to McKenna and then you had to deal with having been abused in that way by people in authority who should have been better who knows what havoc that would wreak on someone's life and so part of us are you know viewed McKenna as a hero part of us saw her as broken, but broken because of the way the church treated her. She even owned up in her press release to having a lot of personal flaws and, and, and um, you know, historical problems. And so she rode that for a while uh, and got a lot of mileage out of that. And I think it, it really was, in honesty, a really important part of what led to Sam Young stuff and, and uh, just this whole anti-abuse campaign that's been going on for a couple of years now that I think has probably made a positive difference in the church. On the other hand, there were those of us, you know, and I, I never had McKenna on Mormon stories. Um, I was always a little bit, I, I you know, I, I had a respect for some of the things she was doing and saying, but I also like had some concerns, had some questions, but um, at the end of the day, I wasn't sure, right? And then, um, and then she starts making those claims that the church is putting Drano in her orange juice and, and that the church burned her car and that someone from the church tackled her and gave her bruises. And that led to that whole meltdown with new name Noah and him going after her. And you were one of the first people to kind of really kind of jump on the McKenna bandwagon. And then I think, and then... I think at some point you, and I haven't listened to the episode, but at some point you felt like you had to uh, hold her feet to the fire. I don't know. Talk, you know, people want to hear you talk about that. So talk about that, whatever okay. you want to say. Okay. So this goes back to March 19th of 2000 and <clears throat> is it 16 now? Whenever that was, when, yeah. when the, the, the leak of the, the audio tape of her confronting Joseph Bishop came out. And it was on the the web boards. By the way, if you're on these message boards, man, you can find out a lot of things that are happening really quick. Your Facebook page, you know, Bill Reel's Facebook page, things get put up really fast. That's the way to find out. That's the way I find out what's going on in Mormonism in almost real time. But I found out about it 
here's the deal with me. And I did an episode on this. Okay. Uh, I can't remember. It was maybe a couple weeks later, but what happened was this, is that this comes out and I go, Hmm, I am initially skeptical. I am a defense attorney. I've been a defense attorney for 22 years. I was a prosecutor for eight years before that. I don't believe claims because people make them. And the fact that, um, I should say just because people make them and the more fantastic the claim, the more proof I'm going to need. And it's not because she's a woman and it's not because it's ages ago. Sure. It could happen, but I need something more than just her say so. So, and I'm, and I'm listening, I'm reading that transcript that they put up over there at Mormon leaks, right? Cause they put the transcript up there. I'm looking through that. I'm listening to it and I'm going, he's not really admitting He's making some weird statements like other people, but he's not admitting to what she's claiming in this confrontation, in this tape. So I'm correcting some people because some people are running around saying, oh, he admits to, to what she says. Well, no, he doesn't really. He doesn't really do that. So initially skeptical, wanting to hear the evidence. And then as the week goes by, the church makes a release. They do a press release in which they start misrepresenting things. And then by the end of the week, more stuff's happened. Friday, there's a second press release where now they're admitting that this guy has made, uh, another woman had made a claim against this guy of a similar nature. And by this point, you see, the story for me wasn't McKenna Denson. The story for me was how the church is covering this up. Of course. And that's what I went with was my first episode. I mean, this is the perfect storm, right? We've got Mormonism and my affinity, my knowledge of Mormonism, my experience, plus the law and a criminal investigation, right? Boom. I am like, what would you call a pig in mud? So I'm really looking at this and I, I'm analyzing it. And the church, it is clear to me, are covering things up and they are mis uh, communicating things intentionally. And I go into how it is that, uh, that I believe that's the case. And it's shown from different news stories that happen. McKenna Denson is a person who had always talked about uh, her imperfections, okay? Her imperfections, and there's certainly a lot of those. But the deal is this, and I'm, I'm very much aware from being in criminal law, uh, there's a rape shield statute, right? And the purpose of the rape shield statute, which I think has been enacted in every state, is that it used to be that if a person, a woman's claiming that she was raped, and all of a sudden that opened the door to any kind of sexual interaction she had with any man at any time before or after the claim was made. And this was one of the reasons that women didn't want to come forward with accusations of rape because they'd put, be put through that. So the rape shield statute says none of that is relevant to a claim that this woman was raped by this man on this day. And it's true. It has no relevance whatsoever. So that's what the rape shield statute is about. The flip side of that is <clears throat> if you say that a woman or a man's, but it's usually a woman, a woman's sexual history has relevance to a claim that they were raped, then what you're effectively saying is that a prostitute cannot be raped. And when you put it like that, most people stop and they go, well, of course a prostitute can be raped. That's why sexual history has nothing to do with the validity of a claim of rape, regardless of who you are. So that didn't bother me so much about her, but I looked at the facts and the facts supported her story and the facts did not help Joseph Bishop's story. 
Because frankly, you've got other women now, at least one, making this claim, and the church has admitted it, a similar claim against him, right? Um, one of the things about McKenna, besides knowing about the existence of the room in the basement, uh, maybe other people know about it. I sure had no idea. I was there for two months for crying out loud. I had no idea there was a basement. I suppose that, you know, you would think there's a basement in the MTC. I didn't know there was a basement. I had no idea there were rooms in the basement. I was never taken down there. I would assume that most missionaries who went to the MTC were the same as I was. We're kind of busy at the MTC, you know? You remember what that was yeah, like? I do. Yeah. You don't have time to go for tours uh, behind locked doors, by the way, and downstairs and into basements to find there's a room there that kind of looks like an MTC room. Right. Yeah, with the cinder blocks. That struck me as important. And later that same week, there was a BYU there was a member of the church who had worked for BYU back during the relevant time period, actually just after, just after. And part of that, he's working at the MTC, he's down in the basement, it's dank, it's musty, it's a basement, right? And he has to get down there through locked doors. Yeah, there was a room over there in the corner. It's exactly matching the description that McKenna gave of it. And he remembered thinking, that's odd at the time. And asking people, why is there this room down here? And, and getting the answer, well, the former MTC president, who was Joseph Bishop, would come down here and would do his preparation or whatever. Okay, well, I just work here, so going on. And then he, the story breaks and he comes forward. Well, he doesn't come forward. He's anonymous. Because when you're a Mormon, you got to be very careful about your real-life identity when you're saying things that could be perceived as being against the interests of the church. And I'm not saying they're going to send out the Danites or anything on them. All I'm saying is you got to be careful because it can affect you in very real ways. So he was anonymous, came forward with that. I thought, oh my gosh, are you kidding? And then, then the reporter, having gotten this report from this anonymous guy who used to work uh, for BYU and about the room, now they confront the church spokesperson about it. And they said, hey, what about this room in the basement? And the church spokesperson says, oh yeah, we know about the room in the basement, but there was no bed in there. And I'm going, you've got to be freaking kidding me. You just told me that you knew all along about this room in the basement, that you knew that her allegation about the room in the basement had at least the credibility of it actually existing and you knew about it, but you weren't going to mention it. You were going to keep us in the dark about that. Why? Because all you're doing is defending an institution. That's all you're doing. You're not about the truth any more than you are uh, really in pretty much any other category that I can tell. That really got me hot. That got me very upset. And so I cooled down a bit. I mean, that was the closest I came to resigning, I'll tell you. That was the closest. I was so mad about that. Are you still a member right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. But in name only. Yeah. I-N-O. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm a mino. Right. I'm not a rhino. Yeah. Have you heard that expression Republican before, a mino? Republican mino. But have you heard a mino? Yeah, sure. Shoot, I thought I was coming up with it. Okay, <laughs> mino, I'm a mino. I'm a Mormon it's in name only. It's not a common phrase. But okay, yeah. well, I'm starting it here. You, you coined it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I was so mad. Oh my gosh. But then I thought, no, I'm not going to resign. They can come and get me. I was so mad, but I waited a couple of days. It wore off a little bit. I was able to give a less angry podcast about that but i give the evidence for why it is that i think that you know she's telling the truth she's telling the truth here and um well i know things exploded after that we were in contact by phone periodically during the time you know she ended up being interviewed yeah 
on Radio Free Mormon. It was my, my first interview. And I, I was really glad to have her on. And we talked about things. And ma- we made some revelations that people didn't know about. Um, but I remember once having a phone conversation with her. And uh, I think she said something about being grateful that I believed her. And I don't know why I did. It wasn't very polite, but I just said, uh, McKenna, I want you to understand something. I don't believe you because you say it's true. I believe you because the evidence supports your story. And I think she appreciated that, you know, because I'm saying the evidence supports your story. But, um, and I think the evidence still does support certain aspects of her story. And one of those aspects, by the way, I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm repeating things and people don't really care about this. One of the main things about her story, in addition to the room, is the fact that she knew personal details about Joseph Bishop's sex life that she should not have known. In that interview that she did, the confrontation that was taped, the single most important thing to me, or one of the most important things to me, is where she is telling him about his having dinner with his wife, and his wife wearing some kind of a peasant blouse and would pull the top down to expose herself during dinner, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he, he acknowledges that that's true. And then there's something about this hot tub where he's out with some general authorities and she thought it was Wyoming. He corrects her to Utah. Yeah, there's a hot tub. It wasn't Wyoming, it was Utah. General authority friends and some lady comes by and there's something about her going topless, okay? Yeah, that happened. Okay, McKenna's story is that these are things that he told her when he would call her to his mission office, the mission president's office at the MTC, in what I think could properly be characterized as grooming behavior. He would have no business telling her those stories. McKenna would have no business knowing those stories. The only reason that I can imagine why McKenna would know these stories that actually happened, which he acknowledged when she confronted him, is because he actually did tell her those stories in his office. Mm-hmm. I can't come up with any other reason. So yeah, I think that there are aspects of her story that can definitely be, in my mind, proven beyond a reasonable doubt. What happened in that room in the basement, I don't know. I will never know. But I think something definitely happened there. But McKenna, unfortunately, lost her credibility when she began making claims that sounded difficult to believe, the ones you just talked about, that it happened afterward. Something that I found out is how many people gave her money. And I'm not, people donate to Open Stories Foundation, they donate to me. I'm Mm -hmm. not... I'm not opposed to that. I, you know, people give Bill real money. They give Lindsay and Park money. They give Sunstone money. Like, that's the way it works. But, but it was this weird thing where she wasn't producing. And I'm not judging this. I'm just trying to actually think out loud. She, mm-hmm. she wasn't really producing a podcast or running an organization. She didn't really have a nonprofit with the governing board and accountants. She was it, just a crap ton of people just gave her money. Mm-hmm. And I guess they thousands of dollars, like some people gave them, gave her multiple thousands of dollars. Um, and I guess it was just because they were supporting the fact that she was being an advocate, that she was working on a trial or trying to, you know, trying to put the church on trial or whatever it was. Um, but it, it, but it, but it was, you know, she was going around trying to raise as much money as she could just for her life. Um, and not, that not, again, I'm not condemning it, but that was interesting. 
What did you make of the Drano and the tackling and the bruises and the, my car's been burnt? I thought it hurt her credibility. So you don't think it was true? Or do you think it was true? Um, no, I don't think it was true. I don't know. I, I don't want to mince words here. No, I don't think it was true. I thought it was a very bad idea for her to go public with those claims, regardless of whether they were true. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even if they're true, you don't do that. Don't go public with those claims because it's obvious it's going to hurt your credibility. And when you're making a claim that is already difficult to believe against the president of the missionary training center back in 1984, the one thing you don't need to do is to lose credibility. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think happened? Why do you, if you don't think they're true, then you think she made them up and lied or deceived people. What do you think was going on there? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I know that she uh, maintains that they, they did happen. Maybe they did. I don't know. I wasn't there. It just seems really to strain credulity that all of these things happened and it was very obvious that that is what would happen if she went public with those claims and uh, it is what happened. So I don't want to judge her. I really am not into the whole judging thing. I may sound very judgmental of elder Oaks or other things or about the church, yeah. but trying not to be judgmental. I know a lot of people gave her money. I know a lot of people invested a lot of emotion into her because she became the figurehead and the poster child for standing up against the sexual abuse by the church. And, um, yeah, so a lot of people were very, very angry with her. I certainly disappointed uh, about things, but you know, a couple days after, what was it? It was Mike Norton did um, some kind of a. It wasn't a podcast, but kind it was a YouTube video. Yeah, kind of a takedown. Um, yeah, it was huge. Kaboom. Um, yeah, you know, I gave her a call on the phone and said, "How you doing?" Say, so, you know, you still breathe in air? I said, well, I'm calling you because I'm concerned you're going to off yourself. And she goes, yeah, well, I've been thinking about it. I said, well, I figured you would because, you know, how would you not? But um, so I talked to her a little bit, tried to give her some encouragement. You know, don't kill yourself for crying out loud. It seems bad now. It'll get better. You know all this, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I thought that was important that I do that. And so uh, she's... Uh, got to be doing better. And, you know, as I understand it, still trying to find an attorney to represent her after her old attorney fired her after that happened. Yeah. Well, McKenna, if you end up listening, we wish you well. And uh, we hope you find healing and health and happiness. Yeah. yeah. Because how horrible that this actually could have happened. Yeah. And now it's just all kaboom. Yeah. And so it's a huge victory for the church. Yeah. You know, the church is very happy because one of these people who's coming out is David against Goliath and it looks like they've got some, you know, rocks in their sling and maybe pretty good aim. Boom. They're taken out. Yeah. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon signing off the air.